Okay, I'm pulling out of the parking lot. You all know what that means. Actually, maybe you don't. Uh, so my son Adam had an orthodontist appointment today, and I had to take him there, and I just dropped him off at school. So I'm starting my podcast from school, because that's where my drive to work starts. So it is still drive to work, because I still have to go to work. And as I explained before, I, I, I've done podcasts from the school. Uh, it's a... It's a ways, uh, it's close to my, home is close to my school, so. Hopefully you will get the same amount of content today. Um, okay, so last, last we talked, uh, I was talking about the design of Odyssey. Uh, and I introduced you to the design team, and I talked about the creation of the main, two main mechanics, flashback and, um, uh, flashback and, hold a second, crosses the road, uh, flashback and threshold. Um, so... Uh, today, I was going to talk about... Oh, yeah, that's that where I left off. I was explaining how we started with a simple theory of the graveyard and how things kind of exploded from there. So let me start by talking about the graveyard. So one of the things that's interesting about the graveyard as a mechanic or as a, you know, as a theme is... Uh, so the graveyard is interesting in that it's part of the game. The graveyard is there. Now, normally, normally, the graveyard doesn't matter too much. Now, even in Alpha, Richard made a few cards that cared. You know, he had Raise Dead that could get something back from the graveyard. He had Animate Dead, which could, you know, animate a creature from the graveyard. Um, he had Nether, uh, Nether, blah, blah, blah. He had a creature that could come, they could attack back from out of the graveyard. Um, Nether Shadow. Um... So, I mean, even in the very earliest part of the game, you know, the graveyard, there's a, there a little bit of caring about the graveyard. Uh, and as it went along, um, the dark was the first set that really kind of said, hey, maybe we should play around with this as a resource. And so the dark definitely uh, was the first set, I think, that used the graveyard as a resource where you would chew cards out of the graveyard to do things. Um, uh, and and, and the, dark, the Dark was, uh, I mean, I'll get to the Dark one these days. It was a set that was definitely trying to get a tone. Um, and so the Dark um, was the first set to mess with the graveyard mechanically, as a theme. Obviously, Alpha and other sets cared um, on some cards. Uh, and then Weatherlight was the next time where we just had a graveyard, a set with a graveyard-centered theme. Now, Weatherlight was even more graveyard-centered than the Dark. The dark was really about mood and tone, and the graveyard was a portion of it, but a small portion. Where Weatherlight, pretty much, like, that was the major mechanic. The major focus of Weatherlight was the graveyard. Uh, and it messed around with using the graveyard in a lot of different ways. Um, some simple, some complicated. Uh, and along the way, every set kind of touched upon it. I mean, it, it's one of those things where I feel like a lot of our themes, most sets touch upon the theme. For example, tribal. Eh, most sets have some tribal. You know, most sets do a little bit of tribal, but some sets do more tribal. Uh, and the graveyard's the same thing. Most sets care about the graveyard a little bit. You know, usually Black Common has a way to get a creature back, and usually Black Uncommon is a way to animate something. Um, you know, and, and depending on what we're doing, you know, sometimes Blue will get back a spell, or White gets back an enchantment, sometimes the artifact. Depending on the set and what you're trying to do, um, there's always a little bit of, of graveyard use. But when you focus on the graveyard, so Odyssey was the first block to focus on the graveyard and the third set that had a graveyard component. Um, so I, what I was interested in was figuring out all the different ways you could use the graveyard. So let me walk through a little bit just to start talking about like what... I kind of examine like what a resource allows you as a designer. Okay, so for starters, 
there's things in a graveyard. Um, so number one is you can have graveyard as, um, uh, as a zone, meaning that you can interact with it as a zone and do what we call zone changes. So obviously I just talked about those. So like raise dead is uh, graveyard to hand. Animate dead or you know, any of the animation spells is graveyard to um, the battlefield. Um, there are also some cards that will get the graveyard and put it back into the library. Uh, and there are cards that will exile them, that take them from the graveyard zone and, and put them into the uh, exile zone. Um, so that's card, that, that's zone manipulation. Uh, in the graveyard... Um, now, the game naturally puts things in the graveyard. You, you cast a spell and it goes to the graveyard. You kill a creature and it goes to the graveyard. That the graveyard is the natural resting place for things that have been used. So if you're messing around with the graveyard... Um, oh, oh, but... One of the ways to get the graveyard that is not used as much in a normal set is milling, which is library to graveyard. Um, so when you care about the graveyard, um, one of the things you do is you find more ways to get things from the graveyard to other places, and you find more ways to get things into the graveyard. Number two is graveyard as resource. And what that means is uh, I have cards in the graveyard. Normally, it doesn't mean anything. They're just where I put my cards to go away. But when you care about the graveyard as a resource, all of a sudden, you know, I start, uh, usually you exile cards to do something. Um, uh, Flashback did it in a different way, where the cards that have value in the graveyard, um, it's a little different. I, I, I mean, well, I, I, guess, I guess, yeah, Flashback falls in this category, because uh, well, basically what I'm talking about is that cards have some utility. Um, and the resource divides into two groups, I guess, technically. There is resource where I'm just eating it up, like, you must exile a creature card to do something. You know, and that's like, oh, well, unless I have the creature card as the, the cost, then I can't do it. The other thing is like flashback, um, which is cards that have sort of a use in the graveyard, where the idea is if I get these cards in the graveyard, they have a use. Um, and those cards, there's a couple different kinds of those cards. First off, there's like flashback, which is one-time use. That if I get in the graveyard, you know, it, it essentially is a graveyard is a resource card, but built into it, rather than get rid of a spell in the graveyard, get rid of me in the graveyard. Now, there are also some cards that, um, let's see, we do graveyard resource. The, um, there's some cards where, um, like Nether Shadow, that, you know, can t- return themselves from the graveyard, so that if you get them into the graveyard, there's some inherent resource there. Um, there's some cards that, well, in the graveyard have a function, um, bridge from below, uh, in uh, Judgment... What were they called? I call them the Jedis. But the uh, anger and uh, they're all named after emotions. And they granted your creatures an ability if this card was in your graveyard. Um, and uh, so graveyard's resource really means that I want to get cards in my graveyard because if they're in my graveyard, I can use them in some way. Maybe it increases the number of options in my hand. Maybe it's just a resource I can use to be able to do things cheaper. Um, Dredge is another example of of a graveyard resource because Dredge says, oh, well, I can use up cards in the graveyard to make my spell cheaper. Um, The third category is what I call graveyard as barometer. And what that means is things care about what's in the graveyard, uh, but it makes things in your hand or in play stronger. Uh, Examples of this would be like Kindle or Lurgoyf. Um, Let me talk about Kindle and Lurgoyf real quick because Kindle and Lurgoyf are actually both in Odyssey. There's a cycle of Kindles, and there's a cycle of Lurgois. Um, and the, the idea, by the way, of, of uh, Graveyard as Resource sa- is saying the reason you want to get cards in your graveyard is it makes things you have in hand and, 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 and on the battlefield more powerful. Um, 
now you'll notice if you look at Odyssey, I employed all of these. I did all, 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 there was lots of zone changes. Uh, there was lots of, um, resource and there was lots of barometer using of a graveyard. So let me walk through and talk about each of those. Um, I guess I should go in order. Okay. So graveyard is zone change. So one of the things that uh, you'll find is if your graveyard has, it means something, there's power to it because when you, when graveyard matters, having cards in your graveyard is a good thing. Um, and so what that means is two things. First off, it means because you're messing with the graveyard, there's this anticipation that you're doing more manipulating with the graveyard. You're pulling more things out of the graveyard. So a graveyard set will do more, uh, you know, pulling things back from the more regrowthing, as we call it, from the graveyard. Uh, and usually, um, what you'll do is, normally, uh, in a normal set, black will raise dead, meaning it gets back a creature at common, uh, and green will often have a regrowth-like effect, which means it gets back any card, and that usually happens, usually at rare, sometimes at uncommon, depending on the set. Um, now, one of the things we've done is that magic has a normal default, and then when you push certain themes, what you find is you have to kind of give... So if I'm going to do a graveyard matter set, normally um, black cares about the graveyard, green cares about the graveyard, and white cares a little bit about the graveyard. But blue and red, not too much. Um, but you're like, oh, we're going to do a graveyard matters. I have to, I have to ramp it up a little bit. And so you, make, you find ways to make things care. So one of the things we've done, uh, and... Um, the uh, Odyssey actually, I'm pretty sure, did this, which was uh, you want to give each color something it can get back from the graveyard when it needs to. So what we've done is um, black obviously gets back creatures because that's just a staple thing we do all the time. Green has the ability to get back anything. Um, but if we do a cycle like we did in Odyssey, the very common thing to get green get back is land. Um, what we do is we let blue get back instants, red get back sorceries, and we give white uh, artifacts and enchantments. Um, and so you'll notice that those things are true. The, the colors can do those things. They can get those things back. And they will get those things back sometimes even out of graveyard sets. But it's something we do at a much lower level. Whereas, like, you know, blacks raise dead and greens regrowth, you don't see it constantly. That's something you see in, in a lot of sets. Um, the other thing that we tend to do is just the number of, like, reanimation spells. The number of spells that make use of things in the graveyard, in a set about the graveyard, our tolerance goes up. Essentially, whatever we care about, when that's the focus, we go, okay, you know, I mean, the two big things happen when you're, when you shift into focus. One is you tend to move down in rarity some stuff. Uh, you see this in artifact sets, for example, where normally there's not a lot of common artifacts. There's a few mana fixing, maybe a, a equipment or two, but usually there's not that many common artifacts. But you get to a world in which artifacts are the focus, and all of a sudden, you shift down. There's a lot more artifacts at common. Um, and the same is through for the graveyard stuff, is that, you know, when you're making it about the graveyard, you know, for example, blue and common, usually if blue's going to uh, get back spells, usually we do that on common, you know, every once in a while, a common. But in a graveyard set, very likely that's a common. Or red getting back a sorcery, which is something that you won't see very often. You know, we might actually do that a common um, in, a, in a graveyard matter set, which we would not do that in a normal set. The other thing that you do when you have your theme is you increase frequency, which means you do more of it. So in a graveyard-focused uh, set, you would just do more um, reanimation, more raising, more, 
regrow things, just more things that, that allow you to get things back from the graveyard. Um, now, but the more important thing is not getting things out of the graveyard, even though you do more of that in the graveyard set. The bigger thing is getting things into your graveyard. And so the reason for this is that um, if your graveyard is valuable, you want to give people more tools to get things in their graveyard. Um, now, the, the, there's two major ways we do this, um, or three ways, I guess. One is that, um, well, let's talk about the different things. So we'll take from the battlefield. Um, things are going to die, so the battlefield naturally gets things there. Uh, the one thing you'll do in a graveyard set is you're slightly more likely to have sac effects on, on creatures and on permanents, meaning that um, it's fun to kind of say, oh, well, I know I care about the graveyard as a resource. Oh, well, the board gives me a little more ways to manipulate to get extra things in the graveyard. So usually sac effects are a little bit higher in a graveyard set. Um, oh, in general, also, we're more willing to make uh, creatures that will die in combat uh, sometimes in a graveyard set, you'll see toughness go down just a little bit because you, you kind of want to create combat where things are going to die just because you want to get the graveyards full. So uh, that's another change you'll see on the graveyard. But uh, change on the, on the battlefield affecting it in the graveyard set. Uh, remember, that one of the things that you're trying to focus on is you're saying, okay, I'm making my uh, the stuff for the battlefield. I want to get things in the graveyard. Now, the game naturally does that, so that helps. But you, you, you goose it a little bit. In general, what you want to do is, whatever the set's about, you just push toward that theme a little bit. Um, like, every set has things to sacrifice, but let's say, I'm just making up a number here, but let's say that number is, you know, 2%. Maybe in a set of other graveyard, it goes to 4% or 5%. Then you just, you, 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 you ratchet it up a little bit. By the way, for, uh, I'm sitting in traffic, so I predict a little extra, a little extra material for you today. Which is very funny, because when I sit in traffic... Uh, when I do my podcast, part of me is like, ah, oh, traffic. But part of me is like, ah, I can talk more. So uh, I guess the po- my podcasting has, has helped my attitude toward traffic because at least I see the, the silver lining, which is you guys get more material. Um, and I like talking about design, so win-win. Uh, although I'm still not a fan of traffic. Uh, okay, so the bigger thing is, okay, we have, we have, we have Battlefield. So you want to get things from the battlefield into the graveyard. Okay, we, we goose that a little bit, make it a little easier. Second thing is your hand. Um, that There's two ways to get stuff in your hand. One is casting spells, but you're going to cast spells, so not much we need to do that. Um, the one thing we might do is in a graveyard set is we might make the spells a little cheaper. Um, we might give you more cantrips, meaning um, we might... like The reason cantrips are great is they tend to be a little on the cheaper side, and they not only fill up your graveyard, but they replace it, so there's not lots of card advantage. So we'll do that. And then the other thing we'll do is we tend to make discarding, uh, usually as a cost, uh, a little bit higher in a, in a, in a set about the graveyard. Um, uh, and once again, Magic always does that. Every set, there's, there's a little bit of sacrifice. And the biggest thing that changes is normally sacrifice tends to be in black. black. Black is the one. So one of the things we tend to do is, I don't know if you've noticed this, is if, if white sacrifices itself, it tends to help the group. Where black, black, so white is, is I sacrifice myself, and by doing so, I help the group. And black is like, I sacrifice this other thing, and I help me, I help my planeswalker, I help somebody. Um, but black is more often to sacrifice other things. Now sometimes, depending on, um, we'll let black also sacrifice itself, but usually it's like, I sacrifice any creature, and we allow it to be the creature it chooses. Now recently, by the way, we made a change, for those that are unaware, which is... Um, 
Sometimes there are creatures that they sacrifice uh, a creature to get a bonus, and the bonus is to themselves. A real classic one will do, it's like Vampire Hound, which is discard a card, the creature gets plus two, plus two. Um, and for the longest time, you could just sacrifice Vampire Hound. Um, but it was causing some problems. I mean, whenever we... Um, I mean, there's a bunch of different issues. Uh, and we finally said, well, it doesn't make any sense that you're sacrificing a creature if the bonus isn't going to happen. You know, why would a creature sacrifice itself to give itself a bonus? Well, it doesn't, you know, now, I understand the sneaky people love that it could, you know, there's times when it's the correct thing to sacrifice itself. Um, but it was causing some confusion. There, there was, I think there was um, some online, magic online issues. And anyway, it, it was definitely something where we made the conscious choice to go, look, it makes more flavor. Like, if, if it can get advantage from sacrificing itself, meaning it generates a spell effect, okay, maybe it's a last-ditch effort to sacrifice itself. But if it's sacrificing to improve itself, well, you can't just sacrifice itself to sacrifice itself. Um, but anyway, in a, in a set that's about the graveyard, we will up the amount of sacrifice stuff that we do. Sorry, not sacrifice. Uh, well, we will up sacrifice. We will up the amount of discard that we do. Um, and we will let colors other than black do discard. Black usually... Well, I just realized I said sacrifice when I meant discard. Um, so... Uh, Black is the color that sacrifices itself. It's also the color that discards the most. Um, I just realized I messed that up. But one take podcast means uh, I, I keep rolling with the punches. Uh, black is the number one card to discarding for cost. Uh, that's a very black thing to do. Uh, and the reason is, is black is the one that's like, I'll do what I need to do, whatever the cost, I'll take it. Um, black is king of kind of hurt itself costs. You know, I'll sacrifice a creature. I'll discard a card. I'll pay a life. You know, black is, black is willing to pay the cost to get what it wants. Now, other colors, um, we tend to do less of discarding as a cost. We do a little bit, but in a graveyard set, where we're trying to enable the graveyard, we will up that. Um, uh, and like I said, there are different sets that will use discarding if there's some point to what's going on. Uh, like Mercadian Mass famously used it for spell shapers, in which it, it wasn't so much discarding as the flavor was. It was transforming one of your spells into another spell. But the functional thing is a discard of the spell. Um, finally, we get to the zone that uh, gets the most attraction in a graveyard matter set, which is library to graveyard. Um, and this is where we get milling. Um, now, be aware, there's actually two different ways to get stuff to the graveyard. Uh, one is milling, which is straight off top of the library, directly into the graveyard. And the second is more pinpoint, where I go and I choose what I get and put that in my graveyard. Um, sometimes it's like um, where I get multiple cards my opponent chooses and other stuff goes in the graveyard. Oh, oh, the other interesting thing, by the way, is it's actually not just milling. So graveyard to, graveyard to play, there's a couple ways to do it. One, one is straight up milling. The other sneaky way to do it is stuff like mulch um, or like uh, card filtering, like uh, impulse or something. Uh, does impulse go to the graveyard? Well, cards... So, for example, green, a lot of times, will like, look at the top number of cards and get a land or get a creature and then dump the rest in the graveyard. Or blue will, you know, loot. It will take a card and discard a card. Or sometimes it'll look at so many cards, take one and throw the rest away. Um, those cards are ways to get cards in the graveyard that are a little subtler because it's... Because um, when you say put cards in the graveyard, well, that's the focus. I mean, here's the interesting thing to think about, which is when you design a card, if the card only does one thing, that, that's the focus. So if I say... Mill four cards. That's a milling card. It's what it does. If I say, you know, mulch, you know, look at the top five cards and, you know, take any land you see and then throw the rest away or top four cards for mulch. Um, 
then what happens is people, when it's a side effect, people don't focus on it. Um, so it's funny because you know, R&D loves to do this, or designers love to do this, which is when we're doing a graveyard set, we fill the set with stuff like mulch and things where we want you to have, um, you know, we want you to sort of enable yourself with the graveyard. And so what we do is we find effects that kind of get stuff in the graveyard as a byproduct rather than as the focus. Now, we still do the focus. We still do milling. Um, the other thing that we do is, so th- that's from top of the library. And then from inside of a library, sometimes... There's sometimes stuff like in Tomb, which is just go get something, put it in the graveyard, um, which was in Odyssey, by the way. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that card when I get to my... Uh, next time I'm going to do card by card stories. I'm sure I'll talk in Tomb, because um, a good story. Uh, so sometimes you're just pinpoint putting stuff in. Sometimes, like uh, you know, mulching, uh, you're looking and it's sort of like, oh, like a factor fiction is a good example, where like I get some number of the cards, but the rest just well, i got to do something with them. I ah, will throw them in the graveyard. And so sometimes, uh, a fact fiction's off the top of the library. Man, today, my examples, I, I'm uh, not as focused as I could be. Um, a better example would be uh, Gifts Ungiven, where you go in the library and pick out some number of cards, and your opponent chooses some, and some that go in the hand, and some go in the graveyard. Um, and so that, you know, and one of the neat things about uh, Gifts Ungiven is that a lot of times the way you make, you, you make the card have extra value is um, there's things that have value in the graveyard so your opponent has a tough choice. Um, so that is... The, so, if you're, so if you're doing a graveyard set, you want to focus on more ways to get cards in the graveyard. So the byproduct of this is you do more spells like mulch and looting and stuff like that. But you also are drawn to things like milling. So if you will notice, um, most of the sets that had a graveyard theme had a milling component. And the reason for that is milling fills up your graveyard in a way that's pretty neat. It also has this fun thing where normally if I'm going to mill, I want to mill my opponent. But in a graveyard set, I actually have a decision to maybe mill myself. And a lot of times, milling yourself is the correct answer. Um, and there's something kind of satisfying about taking something that has one general usage and giving a different usage for it. Um, so one of the things that happened was we said, oh, we want to do more milling. So we made milling kind of a sub-theme. And then we came across the idea of restocking. And so restocking is uh, reverse milling, which is I take some number of cards from my opponent's graveyard and I put it on the bottom of the library. And the idea with the restocking was that was going to be sort of anti-milling um, and, and, and answer to some graveyard stuff because we were going to give you advantage in, in your graveyard, stuff like flashback, and that this might give you some means to fight that stuff. Um, and so milling was based in blue. There might have been a little bit of black. Restocking was based in green because uh, that's the color that naturally will put stuff back in the library the most. And I think white is a little bit in white. Um, and... So one of the things we started doing is we started making this web of network of, oh, there's, there's land to graveyard stuff, and oh, there's hand to land stuff, and oh, there's graveyard to library, library to graveyard. You know, and that we just made this really intricate web. Um, and it's funny because one of the things that happens, especially back then, was I would just take every possible idea and just run with it. And so by the time I turned the set over, it was the most intricate, elaborate web you've ever seen, and... Um, one of the things that Randy said when he put this, uh, when he was doing development is he goes, Mark, you have a lot of a lot of good ideas. In fact, too many good ideas. Some of your good ideas are going to have to go. And 
he figured out what was most integral to what was going on, and he pulled a lot of other stuff. Okay, so that was me talking about designing for magic as a graveyard as a zone changing. Um, next is graveyard as resource. So the first big graveyard resource, obviously, was flashback, because, um, I mean, that, that is an inherent graveyard. We also wanted to make sure that there were um, some cards that could get back from the graveyard. Um, we wanted to make sure that there were some cards that had some impacts in, in the graveyard. Uh, and in fact, by the way, um, let me talk about this. So we knew that we wanted cards that were what we call active in the graveyard, which means if you look at the graveyard, this card wanted to say to you, hey, hey, I'm in the graveyard. This is important. You can use me. Um, and so we came up with having a little icon, which was a little uh, tombstone icon. Um, it was on the card type line. Um, the, and the idea was if, if we were trying to do something, and if you looked in, in your graveyard, you could see this. Now, there are a couple problems with this. Uh, the biggest is it just wasn't that noticeable. I mean, I guess if you're looking for it, you could see it. Um, but nowadays, we would probably, like we did with... Um, we're much more willing to, to use frame changes, like Bestow in Theros. We wanted to make sure that you could differentiate this creature that was an aura from a normal aura. So you understood that if I block this creature and kill it, oh, he's going to get a creature. Um, and we are much more willing to use frame treatments than we used to be. And so I, I think, like, um, nowadays, if, if we were going to do something like that again, it wouldn't just be a tombstone, it'd be a frame treatment. Okay, so... Um, Oh, the other big question people have is, you guys used a tombstone in Odyssey, and then the tombstone disappeared. What happened? So the plan actually was that we were going to use the tombstone from then on. It was going to become part of magic. That if you had, if you were functional in the graveyard, you were going to get a tombstone. But then the very next year, we did a card redesign. Um, Mirrodin was the first set with the new card, or 8th edition was the first set, and then Mirrodin was the first block. Um, so right after Odyssey ended, we did new card frames. And the problem was that the tombstone didn't fit at the time in the new card frames. And so we had this dilemma. We're like, well, what do we do? And we decided, well, we just introduced it in, in Odyssey Block. It could just be an Odyssey Block thing and then just let it drop. Um, and a lot of people were really curious, like, what happened, what happened to the graveyard, to the icon, to the tombstone? Anyway, the answer was the frame change. Uh, I think now we have the technology that we could do it, although, once again, now I think we'd use uh, frame change and not just a little icon, but um, for those that are wondering what happened to the little tombstone icon, questions are answered. Um, so there's a, bunch of, like, there's a bunch of different ways to make use of graveyard as resource. Um, flashback for us was the biggest thing, um, and we had a few other cards that had, had some function in the graveyard. Um, you know, uh, as the block went along, you know, they, they'd play in different ways. Um, I mean, I'll get to, we'll get to judgment and to... Um, Judgment and to not uh, torment, torment and judgment. Uh, so I try to think any other. I mean, the the key thing about the uh, something we've learned about uh, the graveyard as resource is um, I talk a lot about card advantage, and so one of the things about turning card advantage on its ear was it wasn't that Odyssey actually got rid of card advantage; it didn't. What it did is it said cards in your graveyard can also have value as a resource. Uh, so what we said is in this set, card advantage, card advantage isn't limited to the hand and the, um, the battle, battlefield. Because I think a lot of advantage, card advantage theory was based on the idea of, well, I have cards in my hand and cards in, in play in, in, on the battlefield, and that 
Um, once things went to the graveyard, well, you've lost them. But in this set, you know, one of the things that's interesting is, like, if I discard a card with flashback, well, I haven't actually... I mean, I've lost some utility with a card, but I haven't completely lost the card. Or, or even better, if I mill a card and get a flashback card, I've essentially drawn a card. No, I've drawn half a card because I only get a flashback at once. But still, that one of the things that, that uh, the Graveyardist Resource did is it said, oh, well, while you're milling yourself, you can be getting advantage. You can be getting card advantage. And that it allowed us to put card advantage into the graveyard. And that became very potent. Very potent. Um, yeah, I talked about last time that one of the things that's interesting about Odyssey is that it had this public perception of being weak when, in fact, it was actually pretty strong. Uh, and the reason it was pretty strong, let's see if I've explained this theory, is um, one of the things that I like to do is I like to sort of turn things on their ear and just kind of do things we haven't done before. Um, and so one of the things I found is, statistically in my sets, at least in the old days, the development team's gotten a little better, is that I would do stuff and people wouldn't quite understand it completely, uh, and... You know, that my sets tended to be a little more pushed only because I was just messing around the area that we didn't quite understand as well. I was more likely to do that. And so I more often got some cards, like Future Sight's a perfect example, where I just made a whole bunch of really weird cards. Um, and, I mean, some of them, some of them in development was very clear were good cards, and some of them they pushed on purpose. I mean, Tarmogoyf was definitely pushed. Um, but other cards, kind of like, they didn't quite realize quite how good it is, I think. I think, like, Bridge from Below was something where they thought it had some utility but ended up being stronger than they realized. Um, anyway, so one of the... It's interesting that Odyssey, you know, had this reputation for being weak, and the reality was it's pretty strong. It's a pretty strong set. Okay, the third category to talk about is Graveyard as Barometer. Um, and for this, I want to talk about two, two cycles that, uh, I don't know, just have a lot of history and magic. The Kindle Cycle and the Lurgar Cycle. So let me start with the Lurgoy cycle, because Lurgoy cycle actually has an earlier precedent. Um, so the card Lurgoyf was in um, Ice Age, uh, and it had the, the wonderfully memorable flavor text, Akhand Run, it's the Lurgoyf, last words of Safi Eric's daughter. So by the way, that card has generated all sorts of follow-ups. For example, in Time Spiral, we made Safi Eric's daughter as a legendary creature, uh, in Unhinged, there's a card called Akhandran that uh, raises things from the dead. Oh, no, no, no. It just, well, I'm sorry, not raises from the dead. It just gets creatures out of your, out of your deck that you can attack with. Um, anyway, Lurgoyf was this neat card that cared about the size of your graveyard. Um, it was star, star plus one. Um, so in Odyssey, I wanted to have a cycle of Lurgoyfs, which we ended up calling the Vores. Uh, the black one's more to Vore, but they all were... Um, the idea was that they would each look for different things in your graveyard. Uh, we had black look for creatures and green look for land and, um, I can't remember, was blue instance and red sorceries? Oh, no, 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 red, red, red ended up being, um, no, red might have been sorceries in graveyard. Anyway, I, um, so we made the cycle and, um, one of the big fights at the time was Randy really wanted to be Lurgoyce. And one of the problems with Lurgoyce is, um, Lorgoyf was used in Ice Age because it is, um, it had a Nordic flavor, you know, the set had a Nordic flavor, so they were using words that were, you know, uh, Northern European, um, or Scandinavian, and, uh, Lurgoyf was one of those words, but the problem is, so it's spelled L-H-U-R-G-O-Y-F, and that is just hard to pronounce, uh, in fact, one of the funny stories is, um, 
I remember when I was I played in the Ice Age pre-release which I will tell that story one day uh, there was one pre-release it was in Toronto uh, and I had a card uh, what's the name of the card where I would name a card and if you revealed the card then I got to draw a card what's the name of it? anyway um, and I uh, was my opponent had uh, this card called had, had this card Lurgoyce and I knew the correct strategy was um, I was trying to, to keep him from getting that card and so but I couldn't remember the name of it so it's like that green creature that gets bigger with cards in the graveyard and like, I just couldn't remember you know it, it was a, the first time I'd ever seen the card and like Lurgoyf does not stick in your brain but anyway Lurgoyf had gotten a fan following people really liked Lurgoyf and so um Randy wanted him to be Lorgoyce. I mean, we named him better. We gave, we gave names that we could put in the core set. Um, and I was in charge of the creature types. Remember, I was in charge of the creative. So I went back and forth. And I, 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 in my heart of hearts, I knew that Lorgoyce was a bad... People can't pronounce it. That's one of our goals is that people pronounce things. But there was enough love for Lorgoyce. And I feel like we could throw a bone to the established players. So I, I ended up saying, okay, we, we named him Lorgoyce. Um, and then, obviously, Lorgoyce would go on to spawn. When I was trying to make a card for Future Sight... Tarmogoyf came from me trying to make a Lurgoyf variant. Um, so yet another Goyf, if you will. So Kindle... Kindle first showed up in Tempest. Um, and Kindle was me... I think I might have told the story during the uh, Tempest podcast. Uh, uh, I was trying to make a Plague Rat Lightning Bolt, was the idea. Um, I really like Plague Rats. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you had this card that, like... You know, if you have one of them, it does so much damage, but two of them. And I finally figured out the cleanest way to do it was just look in the graveyard. Like, the first time you cast it, it does two damage. The second time you cast it, it does three damage. Um, but the nice thing about Kindles is it has this nice, subtle barometer thing going on, which is if I mill cards and happen to mill a Kindle, well, now the Kindle in my hand does one extra damage. Um, and so it was a neat. So I decided that I would do a cycle of Kindles. Uh, we ended up calling the Bursts. Um, I was very proud of that naming because um, we were trying to name them. Uh, and it, it's, it's tricky because, like, this one grants, uh, you know, plus, plus whatever, plus ever. And this one grants life. And this one, like, they're just such different effects to try to get the names to tie them together. I was actually pretty happy we managed to tie them together. Um, and for extra fun, for some reason, we decided that the green one was going to have an extra bonus card, a diligent farmhand. In retrospect, I'm not quite sure why we did that. Um, I think we were just messing with space we hadn't done before. It's weird, though, because it becomes hard for us to reprint the birth cycle um, because of diligent farming. But anyway, I mean, one day, if we do it, we'll rename it or something. Um, and, and actually, to be honest, not all the effects are what I would want to do if I was doing a new cycle, so I'd probably want to redo it anyway. Um, but anyway, we did a Kindle cycle. We did a Lurgo cycle. Um, the stuff about the barometer that's nice is... The graveyard as a resource has card advantage issues uh, that we've learned. So it's not that we don't do it. Obviously, Innistrad was our last graveyard set, and it had flashback in it. Um, we do do some graveyard as resource, but we have to be careful. Um, one of the things, uh, so one of the big questions that always comes about is people asking, why did Richard have a hand size? Why seven cards? Uh, and the answer was, Richard was trying to limit how many decisions you had to make. You know, one of the things, for example, that... Richard likes about the initial hand of seven is you draw seven cards and some of them are land and some of them are just expensive and you know just the number of things you can do is, is early in the game is limited and that Richard's very focused on 
managing the amount of choices the player has to make. Um, and, and slowly ramping it up. Eventually, as the game goes on, there's more and more choices. But you want to slowly introduce the choices. Um, much like in a video game, how in the early rounds, you can't do everything. You sort of, you get used, abilities get added to you over time. And that, you know, on the first screen, eh, maybe you can jump and shoot. But, you know, you don't, you don't get this special power-up that you do this other thing to screen four or screen six or whatever. Um, and anyway, I, I, one of the things that I, the lesson that I always keep in mind is trying to keep in mind sort of how much access to decisions you have to make, you know, um, and so one of the problems with graveyard as resource is it increases, it essentially raises the size of your hand. Every time you, you mill a flashback card, you have another card in your hand, something else you have to recognize. You know, every time you mill something that has an effect on the graveyard, you kind of have another permanent. And a permanent that's a little harder to deal with. Um, and so it's not to say you can't do those, and we do, but you've got to be careful. They're a little more dangerous. The nice thing about uh, graveyard's barometer is it allows filling up your graveyard to matter, but it puts the power in the spells in your hand, and those are something that we can cost for. And the reason is, um, you know, uh, well, the, the, the graveyard is going to progress as the game progresses. It's going to start empty, and it's going to fill up over time. And so we're allowed to make you care about the graveyard, because we know early in the game, when it's dangerous for you to be doing powerful things, you know, barring sh- sh- combo shenanigans from, in, 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 you know, uh, external formats, uh, you, you can't fill your graveyard that fast. And so um, it's a nice check on the ability. And so that's one of the reasons we, we try hard to do that. So, anyway, uh, so we went through and we found ways to optimize the graveyard in all three ways. We had, you know, more zone movement. We had more graveyard as resource. We had more graveyard as barometer. Uh, and really, Odyssey, Odyssey explored them all. So, in fact, I, so one of the problems was, I was talking about this earlier, is we would find things and just go to town on them. Uh, and the problem was that there are so many strands you can get from a graveyard set. So, so here, let me, let me give another uh, just game design lesson. Um, one of the things about game design, one of, the, one of my ongoing motifs is, one of the biggest problems I think game designers have, meh, game designers have, one of the biggest problems, let me try that one more time. One of the biggest problems game, de- game designers have is that um, they, because they are gamers, and, and you have to be a gamer, I think, to be a good game designer, you have to understand the thing you're designing, you so badly want to see the act of game design as a game that you prioritize challenging yourself as a game designer versus making the best game you can make. So let me clarify this. So what I mean by that is, in Odyssey, a good example, instead of focusing, instead of saying, okay, I have a graveyard set, where am I going to put my focus? What is the main thing I'm going to do? I just said, oh, look at all the things I can do. I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And I just did 8,000 things. And when I turned the set over, Randy rightfully said, Randy was the developer for those that don't remember, um, holy moly, there's too much stuff going on here. You know? And the thing to remember is, you, the designer... You know, you are able to process things because you're the ones that are slowly adding things in. You know, and you've worked on this game for months, maybe years, and that to you, each new addition came after you've carefully thought about the thing game before it. Um, but your new player 
or, or just the player that's, in, that's for the first time seeing this, they encounter it all at once. It's not like they get the opportunity to slowly learn things. I mean, they do a little bit based on rarity. But in general, they have to experience it. And so if you put too much in, it's just overwhelming. Um, and so, once again, my, another ongoing theme. The goal of game design, like the goal of most art, is figure out how much you need to accomplish the task and then stop. Anything more than what you need to accomplish your task is A, wasting resource, and B, making it harder for the player to enjoy the things that you think are the focus. Figure out your focus, push your focus. You know? Now, that doesn't mean that you can't have other elements, and you should, but you have to be careful how many other elements. And honestly, to me, it was this lesson of... Um, I, 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 was, I designed Odyssey too much for me and not enough for the audience. Now, I already talked about in Lessons Learned how I was doing this intellectual experience that I found fascinating and turning card advantage on its ear and making you understand that there was card advantage in the graveyard. And, you know, I was doing all this stuff that was horribly intellectually interesting to me. And to some high-end player, I'm sure it was interesting for them. Um, but the problem is that I made players do stuff they didn't want, or the average player do stuff they didn't want to do. Hey, the correct play here is throw away your hand. I don't want to throw away your hand. I want to play my cards. You know, and so one of the things that um, I was doing was I was making a set that I enjoyed more than they enjoyed. And once again, so another thing I was doing was I was kind of satisfying my urge to show what I was capable of. I'm a Johnny. I'm a Johnny. I'm not just a Johnny in magic. I'm a Johnny in life. I like to show off. Got a big ego. In case you didn't notice. Uh... I like to say, hey, look what I did. That's my nature. Uh, and so, as a designer, I have to be careful that the point of a set is not to demonstrate what I can do. The point of a set is to maximize the play value for the players. And so what I want to do is I want to make a set that is the best set possible. And sort of what I've learned is, if I want to show off, show off how good a design I can do. Not how much I can do. Not, not what I'm capable of but what, I, what work I can do when I fine-tune things. And Odyssey was definitely me saying, oh my God, there's so many we can do. Look at this, and look at this, and this zone change, and that zone change. And, you know, and that early Odyssey, you know, for auto design, it was just 8,000 8, balls in the air. And there just was there's so much hard stuff to track. So Randy, I mean, he, he curtailed a lot of stuff in. The restocking went away, and milling came down a bit. And I mean, there were, there's a lot of different things that were going on that were playing into different zone resources and... Um, and so the thing I'm happy with is uh, that, I mean, I still, I still believe Odyssey at the end, at the end of the day, was too much something for me and not enough something for enough players. And that, um, I mean, it was very spiky, and I know there's some spikes that love it. I mean, if it, it is a super, super spiky set. And if you really do get off the fascination of understanding where the card advantage is, how to use it, and when do you throw away your hand, and that's interesting because you're supposed to throw away your hand... Um, for some players, it's an awesome set. And I, I, I mean, I, the design, is, it, my fault with the design is not that it doesn't, that doesn't do interesting things. It just is a little too narrow in how it does them. Um, and that my role is not just to intellectually stimulate, but to emotionally stimulate. Um, in fact, that's one of my, I'll, I'll do a podcast on this one time. I believe that design, game designers spend too much time on the intellectual stimulation of their players and not enough on the emotional stimulation of their players. Um, one day I will do a big talk on this topic because it is one of my passions, uh, is understanding the value of emotions in game design. 
I think that um, it's very easy to understand how people will think about something and harder to understand how they'll feel about something. But fun is not an intellectual, it, it, it's emotional. So if I'm trying to have my players have fun, I need to understand emotionally how it impacts them. Um, anyway, that's a whole other podcast. So I'm at work. Um, so what's going to happen is I'm going to have at least one more podcast where I'm going to go through cards and tell card stories. I've been trying to do that now in all my design podcasts. Um, uh, really, my wrap-up today is I want to explain that uh, I got together my team. I really explored all there was to explore in graveyards. I, in fact, explored it a little too much and ended up uh, having uh, to help Randy pull some out during development. Um, but I, I do feel like it was a... It was a good lesson for me to learn from. I, I, got, I got to do a lot of exploratory stuff. I learned a lot about how Graveyard works. Um, I think one of the reasons that I enjoyed doing Graveyard Set is Odyssey was a great teaching lesson. Uh, and Magic has a lot of cool tools and do neat things in the Graveyard. I've just learned you have to be sort of pick and choose what you want to use where. And that the smorgasbord effect is not ideal. Um, that uh, Anyway, I mean, like I said, I, I, I look back at Odyssey as being a horrible, valuable teaching lesson. And that there's a lot that I learned from it. Also, as I look down at my phone, I had a lot of traffic today. Today is a long podcast. But luckily, I had a lot of stuff to say. So I think that is good. But I got to get to work because I got some work to do. So anyway, um, thank you very much for listening. And it's time for me to be making magic.